I want to start off with this story that there was a, the only survivor of a shipwreck, and, and uh, the shipwreck happened that night, and the, the, everyone went down under, and, and he woke up the next morning all by himself on a deserted island, and so he looked around to try to find anybody. There wasn't anybody there. He, he walked around the island looking for ships to see if somebody might be able to rescue him. There was none. So for the next several weeks, every day, he went and scavenged for different shelter items. He scavenged for food and, and eventually got enough stuff where he was able to build a shelter, start a fire to keep warm at night and, and to be able to cook any food that he had and those kind of things and keep him away from the rain. So one day he went out and he was scavenging for food and, and he was coming back with, with just a bounty of food. And, and when he got back, all of a sudden he saw his hut was on fire because he had left his fire burning and an ember a wind had come up, an ember had blown into the hut, and it, and it set it on fire. And now all of a sudden, here's this guy all alone. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's distressed. Everybody say distressed. I mean, he is stressed out to the max of what's going to do. And, and so he just sets down, and, and he's depressed. He's discouraged. He, he doesn't know what he's going to do and, and everything that he'd worked towards. And, and then suddenly he looks up, and there's a ship approaching his island. And he was like, man, I'm finally going to be saved at last. And, and so the, the ship eventually got the, the guy on board, and, and he asked the captain, he said, Captain, Captain, he said, he said, what made you come here and find me? I've been here for weeks. And, and the captain looked at him and said, we saw the smoke from your fire. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose for them. And so the question before I pray that I want you to think about right now is what has or what is happening in your life right now that you first thought was bad but now is good? What has happened in your life or is happening in your life that you thought was bad but suddenly it's turned good? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this. Labor Day weekend, Father, is, Lord, 1990 Labor Day, I gave my heart to Christ on Routem in Middle Grove, Missouri. Father, it, it revolutionized and changed my life. And Father, I just want to share these 33 years of being a Christian, probably one of the greatest lessons that you've taught me in my life, and that's how to be free from spiritual, emotional, financial, spiritual, relational distresses in my life, Father. Father, it's the key to not laboring in the distress, but to be able to celebrate freedom on this Labor Day. And Lord, I pray that wherever someone may be overwhelmed in life, Father, that, that they'll begin to find freedom in their life, Father. Stress, we know, is positive for our lives, but distress, when it divides us, is negative. And so, Lord, let me help clarify to these people in the next 20 minutes just four simple points, Father of how to distress their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. They're gonna put up a picture of the statue of David, and, and the statue of David is probably the, the most famous statue in the world today, and, and Trish and I, when we were in Paris at the Louvre Museum, we had an opportunity to, to see the statue of David, and, and it's, it's a, a pure block, it was a pure block of marble, it's 70 foot tall, and it's known throughout the world. But most of us don't know the backstory of the statue of David. In, in 1473, there were two sculptors that took this 17-foot block of marble and, and they began to chisel on it 
and they worked for a little while on it, but eventually these two sculptors, they got discouraged. They, they, they in essence, uh, got stressed out, and they quit. And the statue sat there for 25 years till 1501 when a young artist by the name of Michelangelo grabbed his chisel, and three years later he completed this famous statue, a statue of David in the world. And you think about it, if I asked you who were, and you got to really search for it hard, who were the two sculptors that started but quit, could you tell me their name? Could you tell me those two guys that got stressed out and they quit doing the work? And none of us, I mean, I'm still looking for their names and I can't find it. Because the reality is this, and it's a sad reality, but it's reality is history doesn't remember quitters. History doesn't remember the names of quitters. And if you turn to Job chapter 42, it's interesting because if you're reading the one-year Bible, you've been reading about Job, and, and you know in Job chapter 1 verse and, and chapter 2, Job lost everything within a matter of day. He lost all his children were killed. He, he lost his house. He lost his crops. He lost his business. He lost everything. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And then all of a sudden, he got struck with an illness, and he was sitting on taking broken pieces of pottery and scraping his skin, trying to to get relief from the situation he was going in. And it's interesting because Christians and non-Christians alike, everybody knows who Job is. Whether they believe in Christ, whether they believe in the Bible or not, everybody knows who Job is. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And I thought, why does everybody know who Job is? Because the life lessons of overcoming distress in his life. And if anybody had a reason to be stressed, it was Job, Amen. In Job chapter 42, verse 10, so this is the end. This is after he's lost everything, his friends come, they're, they're doing their stuff. And it said, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. When Job prayed for his friends, not when Job prayed for himself. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much before. And then if you go to verses 12 and 13, you begin to see what it was. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he has 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. But he overcame distress before the result came in. And I love it because Job actually ministered to somebody else before God ministered and returned to him. And so the first key to overcoming distress in your life is you've got to realize it. Everybody say realize it. The key to come to the realization that your problem is not, listen to me, you got to come to the realization that your problem is that you're not stressed out, you're not overwhelmed, but the problem that you have is a vision problem. See, our natural tendency, I think, is, well, I have a time problem, I have an addiction problem, I have any problem, etc., etc. You just name something that you're stressed out about, and usually we say that's our problem. And what you really need is vision. Everybody say vision. And I'm going to talk about vision in a couple weeks. I'm going to the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about how I can improve myself. 
because you've got to improve yourself before God will unlock the vision. Then the next three weeks, we'll talk about vision, just very simply vision. Vision as a noun is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. Wisdom, Ephesians 3.20 says, For God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think, ask, or imagine in our life. And so when you have a vision, it gives you an end picture. When you have a vision, it helps you keep moving through the messy middle. Through the messy middle. A messy middle, turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me. A messy middle, when you have the right attitude and the right perspective, provides new opportunities. And these opportunities that are new in your life are often called problems. So how do you get through the problems? You have to have a vision of getting through the problem. That's the, most of us have the problem. We don't have a vision to get through the problem because what we look at is the problem. We look at the storm. We look at the situation. And in Matthew 14, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture with the life of Peter how messy middles can become opportunities. Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water, and I'm going to put this in here, in the storm towards Jesus. In the middle of the storm, he walked on water. To walk on water, yes, Peter first had to get out of the boat. So the question is, what is the next step that God's given to you? What is the next step that God's given to you? It's simple, but it's not easy. Are you ready to get out of the boat and walk on what you fear? Peter was one of the 12 afraid of the storm. Are you ready to get out of the boat and walk on what you fear in your life? Whatever that fear is in your life. See, it wasn't when the water that was calm was calm when Peter walked on the water, like the pictures a lot of times show. They just show this, this calm ocean that Peter's walking on. That's not what, I mean, there was, it was like hurricane force of what recently hit Florida. It was in the storm that, that Peter walked on the water. And Matthew 14, 32 says, when Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. Until Jesus is in your boat, storms don't cease. And we study the Bible, and when Peter's eyes were on Jesus, who is the ultimate vision, he overcame the storm that was going on all around him. Think about it. When he was walking on the water, the storm didn't stop. It was going on around him. We know the waves were, were there. And he experienced the miracle of walking on the water in the midst of the storm. But when he got his eyes off Jesus, the vision, the Bible says he sank. And if you're sinking in your distresses, if you're sinking in the situations and the storms of being overwhelmed in your life, then you need to get your eyes back on Jesus. You need to get your eyes back on the vision that he has for your life. Amen? And so Ryan Stevenson is coming in to do a private concert celebrating, you know, 29 years as a church. It's celebrating kicking off small groups. But we really want him to come in to, to do a night of worship. And I want the next couple of weeks, we're going to share the story behind the songs because I want you to understand this is not an entertainment concert, but it's a night of worship where God is going to unite and connect our hearts together in an incredible way. And, and this week and next week are the last two times, 
Last two weeks, you can get tickets. No exceptions after that. You can come to the concert. You just can't get food. All right. But I want you to check this story behind the song, and then we'll jump into the message. You know, I lost my mom a few years ago from bone cancer, and, and I'm the baby of our family. I'm the only son, mm. so my mom and I were real tight, and I just I wasn't ready for that. And um, I was the one that kind of had to deal with her and, and take her to the hospital and hospice and all that because my dad just wasn't capable of doing it. And right after that, kind of on the heels of that, my wife and I went through this crazy um, miscarriage of our twins, um, our church that we were a part of. It was like our family was splitting and dividing. And it was like uh-huh. all these people on this side of the room hated everybody over here. And there was all oh this gossip and division and it was all just so ugly and it felt like a death. And like, I was, I was released from my record company that time I got dropped and I felt like nobody wanted anything to do with me. And, and then I had friends calling me all the time saying that their kids were addicted to methamphetamines and Ryan, can you help us? And it was just this season of chaos and I just could not handle a single more thing. I just, mm-hmm. I just was crying out to the Lord. I can't, I can't do it. You yeah. have to, you have to take this Lord. And so, you know, my, my, my record label guy, my A&R guy came to me and said, why don't you just take this last song? Don't write anything for radio. Just write something for you. Write whatever you want to say. And so I did. So we literally, Eye of the Storm was the anti-radio song. <laughs> and, How crazy is and, that? Uh, I, just, I just wanted to talk about the things that people actually go through, the things that make us all human, but always point people to the hope giver and the healer, the the anchor, the strong point in the middle of every single trial and storm of our life is always Jesus. And he does not overlook the details. He He never stops paying attention to what we're going through because he's in it with us. Mm-hmm. He's already climbed right into that boat and he stands there. And that's just, those are the things that I'm learning as I go through my storms is that I'm not alone. Jesus is right in there with me and he feels what I feel. He knows what I know. He sees what I see. And yet, He's not shocked or confused or freaking out. He's just standing there with me, holding me. And that's that's for everybody. And so that's yeah. really where Eye of the Storm came from. In the eye of the storm, in See, once you realize that your problem is not really your problem, then the next key to distressing yourself is you've got to release it. Everybody say, release it. God wants you to release whatever it is that's battling you this Labor Day, whatever it is that's overwhelming you in your life. Psalm 55, verse 22, and 1 Peter 5, 7, both sort of start out, cast all your cares on Jesus Christ because he cares for you. And then Psalm 55, verse 22, and he, he will sustain you. And I know that's a whole lot easier said than done. But our first go-to, the problem in our life, is our natural first go-to is we try harder in the natural. Amen? And yet with God, it's to trust God more. It's to trust God more. For a lot of us, trust doesn't come easily in our life. Why? Because we often forget that we hold two trump cards to help us walk through any store, and that's faith and prayer. Or prayer and faith. Faith and prayer, faith, prayer and faith. Faith changes things, but prayer changes us. Amen? And I want you to catch in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind, hurricane force, had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Guess what? You're going to face headwinds in your life for God's plan for your life. 
You're going to face headwinds. It's not going to be smooth sailing all the time, folks. And at times, you're going to feel stuck in the middle where the shore is as far ahead as it is behind you, that all of a sudden, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out in the middle of your situation. But Jesus said, get into the boat. And so he, then he said in Matthew 14, 20, he said, get into the boat and go to the other side. You got to understand within the context of what this is talking about, it's about 6 p.m. at night. Why did he tell him to get in the boat? So he can only do what God can do. Because when you are at the end of yourself, when you are at the end of yourself, look what it says here in Matthew 25. About 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's about 6 o'clock when he told them to get in the boat. They're halfway, about 3.5 miles into the ocean. Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. The New King James and the King James Version says the fourth watch. So we're nine hours after sunset. And guess what? Jesus is not in a hurry. They're in a hurricane-force storm, not in modern-day ships like we have, but in those little dilapidated boats way back there. Remember, God is never late, yet he's rarely early. Come on, say amen. They had been in the storm for about nine hours, and Jesus, now get this here, Jesus allowed them to stay in the storm. Why did he allow them to stay in the storm? See, the problem with our prayers and the problem that we look at things is we want it fixed now. We want it fixed now. We want God to resolve this, heal this, take care of this, bless this, whatever it is now. But that's where trust, everybody say trust. Trust comes in. Because if all our problems evaporated instantly, it would take neither faith nor trust. But as you trust him more to do the things in his time and his way, you'll find that you can release 1 Peter 5, 7, Psalm 55, 22. You can release your problems to him because he cares for you. The third key to distressing your life is you've got to replace it. Everybody say replace it. In psychology, there's a principle called the law of replacement. And the way it works is when you have a negative thought, it's not enough to just try to stop thinking the negative thought, but you have to replace it with a positive thought. So, for example, and I'm still working on this, this is one of my, probably my second favorite nighttime snack. It's a Twinkie. And if I open it up, it's soft. If you break it open, it's got this wonderful cream filling that just melts in your mouth. And, and, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. But how many of you all know you shouldn't be eating? I ate two of them last night, one at 1 o'clock and one at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I, I said I'm still working on being transparent, okay? Working on this. Because when, I'm, when I get up in the middle of the night, I think about double stuff Oreos or Twinkies. And that's not a healthy thought. That's an unhealthy thought. Amen? And so... What I need to learn to do is think about this apple because it's healthy, it's delicious, it's sweet, it's got crunch, it's got texture to it because an apple a day keeps the doctor away, amen? This clogs your, your arteries. But when I think about this, it never produces a positive result. It produces this. 
So how can you do this in your thought life? How can I take a negative thought and replace it with a positive thought? Romans chapter 12, Philippians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, all says in the Bible that I can renew my mind to think upon those things that are healthy thoughts. And so the reality is for most of us, whatever is on our mind seems to come out of our mouth. Come on, say amen. Whatever is on our mind seems to come out of our mouth. And so in other words, whatever we hear, whatever we hear is what we tend to believe in our life. And so let's be real, as humans, we enjoy talking about our problems. Come on, say amen. How's life going? Oh, let me tell you. We love talking about our problems. We love posting about our problems. And the tripping point is, is, is the reason so many of us are falling and not just stumbling, and we know the righteous will fall, but, but why can we go through life and we don't have to fall, but we can stumble? Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Our faith should be in God and not our problems. Don't miss this. Our faith should be in God and not our problems. Psalm 62, verse 11. God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. God has spoken plainly. I have heard it many times. How did he hear it many times? He was saying what God says. Power, O God, belongs to you. So power, O God, belongs to you. So so you hear it many times when you audibly say what God says. So when we keep talking about our problem, it gives proverbial life of its own because we talk about it. And that's when we're on a dangerous path of stumbling and then eventually falling and eventually not being able to get back up. So instead of what we do, we need to apply the law of replacement to build up our faith. Psalm 62 says... That, that we can experience the power of God in our lives that belongs to you as a Christian. It's why it's important to know God's word. It's why it's important to know his promises. That's what we got the 12 God, God can statements that are just simply promises of God. Because Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Well, how do you hear the word of God? You say what God says. You say what God says. God wants you to talk to your problem and not talk about your problem. That's where most of us miss it, and that's why we stumble and fall in our life, because we don't talk to our problems, but we talk about our problems. We talk about our problems with everybody. And when, as, when we have problems, we don't need to ask, why am I going through this storm, but what am I going to do in this storm? The Bible says Jesus sent them into the storm. Jesus sent them into the storm. Not every storm in your life is caused by disobedience. Not every storm that somebody's going through is caused by disobedience in their life. Sometimes your storm comes when you're being obedient to God. You go back to Job. Faith is obeying in spite of the evidence. Great faith, everybody say great faith, is obeying in spite of the consequences. See, there's two types of storms. There's the storm of correction, ask Jonah about it. And there's the storm of perfection. And that's when you ask God, what do you want me to learn in this storm? To stop distressing yourself, the simple answer is to stop speaking about what your problem is and start speaking to your problem. Look what Jesus said, 
Mark chapter 11. I thought Tony was going to steal my verse. I was about to knock him out. But anyway, verse 22, it said, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May it be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received, it will be yours. See, we resist the enemy. We resist talking about our problems with the authority of God's word, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and this is our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6 says. And when we put the word into action by speaking it out of our mouth, we're swinging our sword, rightly dividing, the Bible says, the word of truth. The problem is too many of us think we are resisting the devil with our thoughts and not with our audible words. We think, oh, I'm thinking this. No, it's audible words. I believe, I believe the devil can't read your mind. Listen to me, and I'll, I'll clarify this. I don't believe the devil can read your mind. Why? Because he shoots, Ephesians 6, flaming arrows into your, your head to cause you to think thoughts you shouldn't think. Well, how does he know what to shoot? Because you've spoken out of your mouth so much. I believe the devil only knows what's going on on the inside of you is by what's coming out of your mouth. That's the incredible genius of God, I believe. That we may be terrified on the inside, but we're speaking by faith God's word on the outside. And then the enemy runs, and then you begin to understand the scripture where it says, greater is he that is in me, 1 John 4, 4, than he that is in the world. Because you're speaking the power of God that's in you out into a situation. It is written, my God shall supply all your needs or all my needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.13. God, I choose to put my faith in you and your word. In Jesus, I speak to the problem. I speak to the disease. I speak to the negative report. I just speak to that persistent problem, that thorn in my flesh, whatever it is. I speak to it in whatever financial crisis is. I speak to it that my God is greater. I speak to it that he's already defeated and his destination is hell and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I remember my faith and I put my faith in the word of God because God can. Everybody say God can. Man, they're not just statements on a wall to make the walls look pretty. Man, swing the sword of faith, which is the word of God. And it will bring us to our final key in defeating distress in our life. And that's simply requested. Everybody say requested. See, there's a misbelief in Christianity and it's this. God knows what I need. God knows what I need. And because he knows what I need, he'll give it to me when I need it. And I don't believe that. Yes, God knows what you need. Because unlike Satan, I believe God can read your mind. But he set up a relationship with us as a two-way street. means we have free wills. And it gives him great joy when we communicate with God through prayer. And yes, I believe he knows what we need before we ask him. But he still expects you to ask. In fact, I think we need to ask before he'll act. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. Man, those prayer cards in the back seat, man, fill those out. The people up here to pray for you, to come up here and say, man, this is what I need. And in Philippians, it's clear that we are to request what we need from God in the midst of our storms. 
we see Peter. And folks, don't overthink it. Look at somebody and say, don't overthink it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30 and 31a. Don't overthink this. Watch what Peter said. He's in the midst of the storm. He's walking on water. Suddenly, he's beginning to sink. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. And he shouted out loud, audibly. Listen to this simple prayer. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. He didn't get into a lot of stuff. Man, a simple, save me, Lord. But isn't it interesting? Jesus is watching him sink. And in verse 31, after he prayed out loud, Jesus, save me, Lord, he's watching him sink. Then Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus didn't stretch out his hand until Peter asked. Our theme for 2024 is ask. Peter had a vision of walking on water. What I love about Peter's vision is it wasn't walking on water when everything was calm. But Peter had a vision of walking on the water in the midst of a crazy storm. And Peter was doing it until he got his eyes off on Jesus and began to look at the storm. When we get our eyes off Jesus and looking at our problems, we'll always begin to sink. I call it vision drift. It's when we lose the vision that God's given us and we sink into the swamp of our circumstances. So the question as you get ready to bow your heads and close your eyes, is are you sinking today? Are you sinking today? And what do you have your eyes on? So just bow your heads and close your eyes. Are you sinking today? Because, see, we're all going to come to a point in our life where we're going to sink. You may not be sinking today, but there will be a point where you feel like you're sinking. And that's okay, because we're human. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what do I have my eyes on? Because I believe if you'll realize it and release it and replace it and request it, you'll feel the distresses in your life to begin to melt away. Begin to melt away. But I want you to understand, when you're going through a storm, when you're shipwrecked on an island like the opening story, and the guy thought everything that he lost Life had just been over, but it actually became a signal because God used a terrible situation and turned it around for his good and God's glory. Listen, the reality is your circumstances may or may not change immediately. But I'm praying today that your trust will go from away from yourself and move towards Jesus because that's the game changer in life. That's what I learned in my life. Labor Day, 1990, Route M, Middle Grove, Missouri. That was the beginning of God showing me that I didn't have to be stressed out in life all the time. So the question is, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, are you ready to get your eyes on Jesus? 
Or maybe are you ready to get your eyes back on Jesus? Are you ready to cry out, save me, Lord? Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Save me from eternal damnation. Save me from financial ruin. Save me from this medical condition. Save me from this relational disaster. Save me from just being overwhelmed and stressed out with no emotional stability. Whatever it is, Lord, save me, Lord. When you pray that from your heart, he comes in. He comes into the boat of your life. And then the storm begins to calm. And all of a sudden you get the vision that you're going to make it to the other side. He's got an incredible plan and a purpose and a hope for you. So the first thing we want to do is give you an opportunity to say, yes, Jesus. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. 